A quick warning, this episode contains discussions about suicide, which some listeners may find triggering. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. Alright, I'm Dan and welcome to the Stage Fright podcast where we talk about mental health while working in creative industries. Today I'm talking to singer-songwriter Liam Wakefield. The moment actually was I was really fortunate enough to do a single with US country star Jessica Lynn. We talk about addiction at a very young age. I remember my dad just living in fear constantly of going, this is not good. And being raised by your father and your nan. Where was your mum through all of this? Not a clue. And we talk about Liam's run-ins with suicide. As soon as you get into that self-deprecating way of thinking, then you can really talk yourself out of living. How bad did it get? I'd managed to drive to Southampton, completely blacked out and then just remember being beneath the loft seeing my legs hang with some rope and using that experience to help others you watch how quickly a negative vibe can change when someone's just been a little bit more open his career moved from music to the army back to music by going to the army i think it gave me some space to have some silence inside and teamwork you know you have to have a team you've got to have other people around it's too easy to think that people just do it on their own and he might have got the wrong idea about the meeting (laughs) that we've had an incredibly open relationship in, not in, in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, not that kind of absolutely not in that sense, no. <laughs> You're listening to the Stage Fright Podcast. Here's Liam Wakefield. Let me just move this. Oh, absolutely loving this space, man. It's cool, isn't it? I've been in a real battle at the moment because me and partner moved and you know, I've just done that whole transition into full-time music again. Yeah. I gave it up for the pandemic, same sort of thing. I was like, I'm not going to be the live stream guy. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And I was like, sacked it off and went and worked with the NHS as a therapist. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and uh, it was such a, a hop, skip and a jump from career to career. Yeah, and then, why, why? Was it money? I think because, you know, I spent 11 years in the army Yeah, and uh, I was medically retired and basically told, you know, that's me, I'm, I'm done for. And to come out of a piece of paper saying you're not fit for gainful employment at, what well, must have been, must have been 30 at the time. I was like, what? Medically retired at 30 and then, you know, my relationship fell apart, marriage, yeah. divorce. You know, so I was separated, trying to be a separated dad with two kids. And, and then lockdown hit and I was like, what the fuck? And then yeah. it was in that year period from the transition from coming out of the army to, um, you know, I went back to music, picked up music and it snowballed in the space of a year just went, just blew out of the water. And it was, it was great. It was wow. amazing. But, and I've come to realize this now. I was chatting to my partner the other day and I was like, I think I just wasn't ready. You know, yeah. I, I hadn't dealt with a lot inside. So I was, I was using it and masking it. But as soon as lockdown hit and I couldn't go out and do gigs, because I did about 180 shows, just played everywhere and anywhere that would take me and just went everywhere. But it was almost like an avoidance tactic. Because as soon as I couldn't do that, I was like, I've got to actually think about oh, things. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and I just fell apart. I crumbled completely. There's a, there's a great Ricky Gervais quote. He says um, when he won his first um, award for The Office, he was sat at home and he had a drink in one hand and he had his award in the other hand. And he said to his girlfriend, why didn't I do this earlier? And she said, because it would have been rubbish. And he yeah. was like, oh, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't have been ready for it. So it true. It's amazing, mate. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> welcome to my lovely studio. <laughs> Thank you for having um, me. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's, oh, uh, it's absolutely stunning. This is yeah, such a such an incredible space. So, but when it was a dog groomers, they they had like a wooden thing covering the door so the dogs wouldn't run out. And then my mate John made all these acoustic panels they out of it. That yeah, so that's amazing. all re, that's all recycled. Wow, I word. absolutely love it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I do sort of not lose the appreciation for it, but because I'm here every day, it's mm. like okay, cool. It's, let's, go, yeah. let's go to work and let's go edit yeah. whatever. And then when someone new comes in, you you sort of think, oh, actually, it's it's all right. <laughs> it, is, it really is. You know, you know, you try and 
well, it's hard for you to then try and do that because you've done it. But this, if when I sit there, I'm like, what would the space be like that I'd want for yeah. to sort of really enhance that creativity? And this is, you know, bang on it. Exactly well, I, I imagine you've been in a few studios that feel like a, a dentist's. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have. Yeah. And it's it's great for recording and they sound amazing, but there's no vibe yeah. there. You just lose so much. Yeah. It. It's really kind of, I don't know. And I think as soon as, if you go into that environment like that, mm. it, with it already stripped out of you, it's hard yeah. to regain that and yeah. find it again. It's something Unless like, you're going to those studios specifically to record, yes. right? The songs are written. We've yeah. already sat in a place like this and written them. Yeah. Let's just go record. That's fine. Yeah. But to write and record, which is kind of what, what I work with artists yeah. doing that, it's, it's, it's a lovely space oh, for it. And that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Th- this will all get cut out of the podcast because this just feels like an <laughs> advert for me now. <laughs> no, no, yeah, let's a- talk about you. So I'm here with Liam. Welcome to the podcast. If you just want to talk about your you know, what you do and who you are? Yeah, so I'm Liam Wakefield. I'm a, I'm a singer-songwriter um, and I'm you know, proud to say a full-time singer-songwriter now. You know, it's been a, a rocky road and uh, I've just, this year was the first sort of turn in that road to go, right, that's it. This is, it's, this is me. Yeah. This is what I'm going to focus on. what you on. want to do. What and was the moment? The moment actually was, I was really fortunate enough to do a single with uh, US country star Jessica Lynn, which was yes. yeah. a great opportunity. Um and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for my partner because I didn't want to do it. Because really? it, yeah, like she kept Jessica kept asking, "Please do it, come on, let's do it." Um, let's sort it out. And I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd just, I wouldn't reply, and I was like, oh, "And I was just like, no, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do it because you know I, I'd got myself in a bad space with with music and and with what I wanted. I just was so unsure about what to do, and you know that typical self defeating attitude where I just. It was like, no one's going to like it. No one's going to yeah. like what I've got to say. And, yeah. you know, it's always so sad and miserable. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and like the voices of my past all sort of come into that and sort of no one wants to hear sad songs. But yeah. which is strange because all I listen to is sad songs. Yeah. So, so clearly <laughs> yeah. there is a market for it. You're going to come out with a Scar record, like <laughs> yeah, talking about the cheese it. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, my partner was like, come on, just do it. You know, you said you'd do it. You know, she's really counting on you to do it. And we, we, there was more to it as well because, you know, it was towards mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, we donated any of the money that was made from it to a charity that I got to spend some time with out in the States. I, was, I worked out in the States on suicide prevention for a few months, which was wow. incredible. And I worked with a guy, um, his foundation called Bobby Henline, and he was blown up in Iraq and he was missing an arm. He had 90% burns. And, oh but God. he was just a lovely person, you know. He, he was a comedian and he just really took to helping people and yeah. sort of using what had happened to him as a catalyst for change. And so it was nice to be able to give something back because he let me live in his house for like four months and <laughs> oh, wow. and just really took care of us when we were out there, which was great. And so it was oh, nice amazing. to be able to go, right, we can give something back to him through this. And that was good. Yeah, and that's so, amazing. Yeah. And I, so did Jessica get in contact with you while you were out in the States or while you No, it's here? actually Jessica and I's relationship came out from when I was doing music in 2020, 2019 to 2020. I did the typical thing where I was DMing everybody going, do you need someone to open for you? Do yeah. you need to? And, and uh, and she did the typical thing going, oh, I'll send it to my people. And, yeah. uh, and then she said after, she was like, I actually checked your stuff out. and was like, I actually really like this. Yeah. And then we got in contact and we started chatting. And then we made a real good friendship over... Um, <laughs> coffee shop jazz you know you get you know on youtube you get those like 20 hour playlists yeah. of, of coffee shop jazz and yeah. it was over that like i remember sending it to her going oh this is what because i saw it in the background of 
one of her videos, uh, like, you know, um, self-promotion videos. And, and I was like, oh, I listened to those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, no, oh, no, great. No, like, yeah, me too. There, there was a big um, rise of, like, lo-fi yeah. ones as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, like, traditional, like, Dr. Dre, like, yeah. lo-fi yeah. beats and stuff. And you could just relax to it. And they, they are great. Yeah, they're great to just put on the background, especially when I was doing a lot of writing, um, sort of, like, more literature writing poems and prose yeah. and things like that it was nice to just have something ambient in the background background yeah. and and yeah we kind of bonded over that it was just quite nice and it was we, we we made a real good friendship out of that and talking about mental health and the impacts of that and i was yeah. doing a lot to try and help with other people because obviously went through my own thing and then from the back of that i then got into doing it professionally which was great yeah. and and then yeah she was like please would you, would you do it and i was like I'd said yes like a year before and I kept knocking it off. Yeah. And then, yeah, my, my partner, she's, she's been absolutely amazing and that, and she manages me now as well, which is even oh, better. Oh, great, yeah. She's I'm, the one that got in contact yeah, with me about she's, you. Yeah, she's great. fantastic and I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for her. And, uh, Sometimes we do need someone mm. to go, no, right, you're doing this on this yeah. day, you're doing this, you're doing this, because yeah. otherwise we'd just sit and go, no, I just want to play music. Well, that's it, yeah. You, <laughs> that's it, just want to be a bedroom, bedroom yeah, noodler. Like, no, yeah, that's it. Yeah. My bedroom. This stuff's amazing because no one can criticise it while I'm in the room. <laughs> yeah. So it's great for her to go, no, 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 I believe in this, so let's let's really push this. Great. And, and then, yeah, so I'm so glad she did because I drove down and got into this. I hadn't even learned it. Jessica had sent all the stuff and I was like, I hadn't, I hadn't barely even, even listened yeah. to it. And I was in the car on repeat like, I think I got this. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Think I got it. And it went, yeah, it went so well. And uh, I remember coming back from that going, damn, I did really like that. Yeah. I was like, really like that. And I was like, I'll, I'll put a little bit of something out there. And I'd sold all my music, all my equipment I had. You know, you, when you do it, things oh, you really? build up all your, all your stuff. Yeah. I had gorgeous Martin. Um, I had all this great kit and I'd sold it all, got rid of all of it. I did that real... When I make a decision on things, I can be such a <laughs> such a little child about it. I'm like, I'm done. Oh, really? It's gone. It's, it's <laughs> I gone. sold everything for about a quarter of the price. Of yeah, I was going to say, did you sell it super oh, cheap? Oh, my goodness. I, just get rid of it. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I remember I had all real nice recording kit, and I sold it to a mum of this kid, and she was like, oh, he's got a band, and they've just won Battle of the Bands. And that instantly, I was like, you can't have 100 quid. Oh, wow. Because I, I was taken back to when I played Battle of the Bands as a kid. That's, I, was, I was going to say, is that does that go back yeah, to you yeah. wanting to help out that kid yeah, as well? Yeah, it was, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there's so many people that jump on the Facebook selling sites and buy kit for cheap. Because you know you can get a good price yeah. for a lot of stuff. And uh, Well, you always get those messages, don't you, on Facebook Marketplace? Would you take it for two quid? Like, yeah. I can't even be bothered to get no, up no. <laughs> for two quid. Just, and as soon as I saw her, her say that, and, uh, and then I saw her, her thing, she had a picture of her son, and, his, and I was like, oh, God. I said, yeah. I think it was only supposed to sell the mic and uh, an interface. I ended up giving her like the, the like, speakers and everything. I was like, go on. Oh, stay. wow. Yeah. Um, thing is, though, that's great, because that kid's going to yeah. learn about for the rest of his life. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and, that kid, and that kid grew up to be Bono. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You never know. You never know. <laughs> When was the first time you really felt out of your depth with mental health? Because that's what this podcast is about. Yeah, I guess it's been a long-standing thing with that. I mean, yeah. I, I faced a lot of trauma as a kid. Okay. Um, and I kind of subjugated that, as, as most of us do. Yeah. And pushed on through life and uh, then joined the army and then thought I was dealing with a lot of it. Because I had a great opportunity with music before I joined the army. And this is... What, I remember, funny enough, even I see a therapist regularly because I think it's great for, to great. do. Um, and he's kind of been the, the absolute catalyst for my life changing hugely yeah. because we just get on so well as friends as well as yeah. like a working relationship and it's great. And he even asked the other day, he was like, 
I don't see it. He goes, I forget that you spent so long in the army, 11 years. Mm. He's like, I don't get That's it. That's a long time. Yeah. And he's like, my, my dad's an artist. My sister, she's, she's an incredible empowerment coach and she works with, you know, energy and everything like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's real holistic stuff. And he's like, so I just don't see, where, where's, where's the army fit into this? And I'm like, yeah. dude, I don't know. <laughs> do you actually not know? Do you, yeah, is, well, was there a reason why? And I think it's the, when I sit, well, my uncle spent a long time in there and so did my granddad, but you know, it was, I just grew up me and my dad and my sister. It was yeah. just us three. Dad raised me and my sister on his own. Um, like, so, and he, he's not a masculine man. He's a very like long haired artist, just this beautiful human. Nice. Um, so I never had that real like, hard energy of manliness. That was never okay. there. Yeah. So I got into music. I was always into creative stuff. But as you do when you're 15, I got a Bon Jovi, Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses tattoo. Thought I was going to be Axl Rose. <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, I, I mean, I was a 15-year-old kid wearing cowboy boots and leather trousers walking. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we certainly made a name for ourselves in the, in the local yeah. town. It was great. But... And we, but we had potential because we had, there was something, there was that spark there and, and it started to take off and it was doing really well. Yeah. But I wasn't in any headspace to do that because I was drinking and early age started to smoke and drugs and oh, do all really? sorts of stuff. And, you know, it's, I remember my dad just living in fear constantly of going, this is not good. Oh, and I got okay. to about 17, 18 um, and I was just in such a bad space with my, my mental health Um and was, it because, was it because of the younger Yeah, uh, Yeah, it's just that thing of not really being in touch with yourself, yeah. not really understanding yourself. So you just do that thing where you act out. And I, I was acting out constantly yeah. and I was drinking way more than anyone that age should be drinking. Hmm. Um, and that was a big issue. Um, so then I had to do the most drastic thing I could. And that was like, I shaved my head and joined the army. And that wow. was off the back of we had been offered contracts. We'd been offered so many things. So it screwed up for everybody else. Obviously, they hate, probably still hate me. <laughs> is that is that the little kid coming out going, yeah, no, I'm just going to throw my yeah. toys out the pram. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's that black and white thinking. It's the all yeah. or nothing thinking. Yeah. And, I've, and I, I, I do fall prey to that a lot. I mm. still do. Because um, I've now grown up with that. So I've grown to lean into that more. Okay. And, and that's, it's not the best way of doing it, I know. But it's it started to serve a purpose in learning how to use it for the better yeah. than just letting it control my entire life. And I definitely did back then because the army was that, just that escape. And it was hard and I wanted to hurt myself. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like the best way to, you know, self-flagellate without actually doing any self-harm. It's like, I'm going to put myself through hell Yeah. just because I deserve to be tortured because... Cut off your nose to spite your face. That's it. Yeah. And then I ended up loving it, but part of what I loved about it, which is the worst part, is it, it quelled and silenced a lot of the voices inside, you know, but those mm. voices were the creative voices as well. They were the, that's yeah. where I've always fed from and created magic, which I love, like the, the music and writing, and that comes from there. But those years in the army was kind of stuffed down and shut it up, which worked. Yeah, was that good for you at the time? It, I think it needed to happen mm. because when I was 16, 17 doing music, it was too loud and it was, you know, I couldn't function properly okay. and it was controlling me in, in the wrong way. Um, so by going to the army, I think it gave me some, some space to have some silence inside. And that was good for a period of time. And then I got married and had kids and that was great as well. But then it wasn't until my health declined and I got diagnosed with a rare condition and the army said, right, that's you. And I was like, what am I gonna do? I was like, damn. I can't imagine what that's like reading that on a bit of paper that says oh. you're not fit for this job. Mm. You're not fit for any job. 
they, they, they literally, they med- I, I sat with the board of doctors and all sorts of people saying, you're unfit for gainful employment. Here's a pension. See you later. That's it. That's you done. And oh I was like, God. are you kidding me? They said, you'll be losing your sight. You know, you're going to lose. What's the, what's the condition called? Uh, Pseudothanthoma elasticum. So okay. it's a rare genetic condition. And, you know, my mum's got it, but I don't have a relationship with my mum and have, never have. I was going to ask, you say you grew up... With your yeah. dad and your sister. Yeah. Where was your mum through all of this? Not a clue. You know, she oh. dipped in and out at, at various stages, but it was, you know, there was a very rocky relationship from the start, really. And, you know, there was abandonment there. Um, and, you know, and she's recollected a lot of things since then and looked inward and done a lot of work and tried reaching out and stuff. But yeah. for me, it's kind of past that point of, I don't feel I need that relationship. I had an incredible relationship with my nan. She was incredible. Oh, she was the matriarch. She was wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, her passing was the biggest, most devastating loss I think I've faced. And the worst was she died when I was in Afghanistan. Mm. And I rarely called back. And the time I called back, I'd call back home and, and dad said she'd passed. And I was like, what the? Oh, and I remember the army being like, we can give you 10 minutes on a paradigm phone. I said, what am I going to do? Call the dead? I said, that's yeah. the biggest <laughs> thing in the world. No, no. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, um, I think there's always been those touches with the mental health side of things. And it's come more and more into fruition, I think, through more of me understanding it mm. and recognising, oh, that was probably because of this and that's because of yeah. this. And then... That's the main issue people don't have. They don't know yeah. why they feel like... No, and I do. think having clarity and self-reflection is so important. And with things like drink and stuff like that, it's so easy to to use it as an avoidance thing. Yeah. I think, I'm all right, all right. I'm just, maybe I'm, oh, I'm a, I've got the blues, Monday work blues, or, you know, I'm, I've, yeah. I've, I've got anxiety and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, well, a lot of that is deep-rooted things inside of you which are then coming to the surface because, you know, you're not you're in a fragile state and even more so, especially if you've been drinking. Yeah. Um, and I think I've just become more and more aware of that. But it doesn't mean I, I was great at sorting it out. And I learned that through even working with the NHS. Half of the people that, that were there on the other end of the phone or in the offices were one step from a breakdown over completely overpowered by what we had to do. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you look at it and you think, Oh, you understand this side of psychology and this side of therapy. You should be fine. But most of us were like, no, <laughs> not yeah. at all. No chance. What, no. Was, what was it like working for the NHS? Did you enjoy it? I didn't. No, didn't I loved it. the people. Um, yeah. But it, the people you worked with, all yeah, the, people, you the helped. people I worked with, but it was the people that we were there to help, which really, I start to struggle with. Um, there's not enough capacity to help. There was. Yeah. I remember speaking to to one person. Um, he hadn't opened up in such a long time, um, if ever. And it was only for a clinical assessment, and then having to tell that person they're going to have to wait a year for to actually get the therapy. Mm. It just felt crushing, and I thought, okay, I, I didn't like how much I lost of myself in each time I went through doing this. And, right. and I'd done therapy work before I went into the NHS. Um, I did private counselling and then, I, I, like I said before, I was went over to the States and did some suicide prevention work and was working with police and military and people on frontline roles, which was great. But because it was on my time and my, my watch, I could sort of pick and choose the things I wanted to do. Ooh. And uh, Sorry. <laughs> that's and so, I, for some reason, that's my ringtone. The most obnoxious <laughs> ringtone ever. That'd give me anxiety. Yeah. Nah, 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 who's that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, sorry. No, no, sorry. Uh, and yeah, I guess as soon as it was no longer in my control, it just got, it just 
become unmanageable. And and that was also the realization as well, less about the job and more about, um, I, I really didn't believe the army when they said, look, you can't find gainful employment in that capacity because of your health. And I was like, kidding me i'm fine yeah you know they are struggling in certain areas but you know there's i'm sure there's things i can do and i think i was about three months into the job and uh i was just in an absolute state and i was like why do i feel so bad i'd like i'm fatigue was awful i could barely do anything and and then yeah it came to light and then i got really sick and i was off for about a month and a half and i and it was that kind of reminder of going damn they were right yeah your body like, saying yeah. um like this, you wanna <laughs> yeah this is this is this is serious and i was like okay so what do i do and i went through about six months to maybe eight months carrying it on going i know i need to stop but now i, I know i'd moved to shrewsbury so i'd moved away from my kids and i was trying to drive back every every friday for like four hours to spend the weekend with the kids and then drive oh, back wow. up so you know, the whole and it was that pride coming to it as well then because i was like I've kind of made a massive mistake with this move for this job, especially because I got up there and I was like, most of it's remote. Here's a computer and a laptop. And I was like, you fucking kidding me. You could <laughs> like, have actually done are you home, actually yeah. joking me? And, uh, but then when it came to them saying, look, we want to support you and the management there were just fantastic. And oh, they, amazing. they were wonderful people. They really were. Um, and they said, look, we can support you going back down south and, you know, and doing it remotely down there. And I think that was a defining thing for me is when someone puts it on a plate going, you can still do this. Do you still want to do this? And I was like, I don't. No, no, I actually don't want to do it. They, oh, they, they, nice. they catered for me to carry on doing it. And I was like, no, I think I think I need to take up what the army said and and focus on me and, yeah. and do something for me. And and it was a, that was around the time that, that my partner, Emily, she said, Look, do the song with Jessica and... Uh, and, and go from there and we did it and I was like oh, and you'll know from that moment yeah and I did I got back on. from the studio and I was like damn that that that, yeah. that bit inside me it seemed so much clearer as well because then I started to just noodle around with things and play and I was like oh, it's still there and it's it hadn't gone and I was like yeah okay let's let's just put some some things out there and put the feelers out there and see where it goes and Ring, ring up that kid again can I get my recording stuff back <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, give you yeah. 110 quid yeah, I, th I think that was the worst thing going like, damn, I've got to buy that kid again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so damn expensive. Can't buy it all back. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music for advert free, higher quality, and early access to the Stage Fright podcast. I think knowing as well, coming back into it, you know, being like, I, I'm in a, the best place mentally. Mm. And I remember the first time getting back on stage after all that time. And I've never felt more grounded in my life. I've never been more present in my life. And then it, I, I also remi remembered that through that period in 2019 to 2020, I was on so much medication and also so much drink. I didn't feel a thing. Because even when my marriage fell apart, I remember my, my ex-partner saying, Do you not, are you not feeling anything? I said, I don't feel anything. And it's because, you know, I was on SSRIs and, you know, I know what the neuroscience behind what they do. And I think that was the worst thing as well because I... I had such a high dose. I was like, I'm not feeling anything here. And yeah. then it's a shame because I thought I was disliking the music at certain stages. I, I headlined a show at the, the smaller O2 Academy in Islington. And that should have been great. And I remember that was actually one of the defining factors because my hand seized during the show. But it was a great, great crowd, you know. I remember even you know trying to make a little excuse and there were friends there and they're like, shut up, just play on, we love it. Yeah. And it was great. And, you know, it was having that support. And I remember getting in the car 
And I was staring in the, the, the uh, rearview mirror and I, I was looking into it and I was like, just shed a tear. And it was, yeah. I liken it to that, that, that film, The Holiday with, uh, what's her name, Cameron Diaz. Yeah. She's trying to cry. And it was almost like that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why am I crying? I was like, this is sad. I should be yeah. sad right now. Like something happened and I should feel emotion. And I felt nothing, absolutely oh nothing. And then I did the typical thing where I just stopped taking anything. And then I went, and just pretty much crashed out of the world. Did it get worse from there? Oh, yeah. I ended up going to psychiatric facility, which the, the army facilitated in a way that, you know, you don't get sectioned. It's basically a timeout because, you yeah. know, they have MOD beds there. And I was still within the army for like a year after. And they were like, look, we can basically take you out of circulation. So oh, because they've got to take you out gradually, I guess. They can't just yeah, go, right, yeah, yeah. see ya. Yeah, they, I, I had a guy sort of check in every every week and and um this lady from the department of care and mental health which is attached to the army so they they were, they were wonderful in the oh, support wow. transitioning i definitely got a very rare experience i think because i know a lot of people um who you know were 10 times worse than me you know lost limbs and mm. all sorts that didn't get that level of care and i had a great i did have a great level of care but oh, wow i didn't have enough self-care and that was yeah. a problem yeah and that was my real demise in that do you think if it wasn't for your health you'd you would have stuck with the army for longer. Would you still be in there now? It's a good question because I think about this, but then, then that that kind of ties into the relationship that I was in. Um, you know, being a dad, and mm. even because I'd come out of the army, I, I took a sabbatical um, after Afghan in two thousand and twelve. Uh, did some private security, and that's when I ended up getting married, and the part the person I was with fell pregnant pretty quick. Um, and I decided then I was like, oh, I best go back in. You know, we got a house. Yeah. Like, and all this sort of stuff I was like need to support and it's that practical logical mindset yeah. that came into play um, and it worked fine but you know as soon as there was that rocky period it all fell apart and you know you kind of look at that and think well then you know maybe that wasn't what it was supposed to be like you know and yeah. there'd never be any regrets because the kids are the most important thing to me um, yeah and how many kids have you got two two and they're just they they are my everything and you yeah. know, I really try to be the best dad I can I try to be there constantly uh, all the time I don't you know, I don't want to be a weekend dad. I want to be mm -hmm. there yeah. all the time. And do they live with? Yeah, they live. They live with the ex, and uh, and and you know, even how far away is that? About thirty minutes. Cool. So you know, Great. still do school runs, still try and do everything like. And you up. and the ex get on. Yeah, we've worked, Great. but that's you know that's taken a long time as well. Yeah. That was hard work to more so for her because I was just not in a good place. And yeah. I was not. You know, you look back and you think, damn, you were a bad person, mm. and not intentionally bad. Just it just that must have been really hard for her to go through. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have the kind of relationship I have with her now. Yeah. Um, especially with, with my new partner. She's amazing. And, like, we, we get on and it, you know, it's in service of being the best we can for the kids, which is yeah. the most important That's the thing. most important part of it. Um, and I do feel incredibly fortunate to be in that situation because to know what I'd went through for those real rough couple of years... Um, you can you can easily look at that and think I don't deserve any of this. These people, these people are amazing. Yeah, and that was that again was another factor of the mental health taking a real decline because as soon as you get into that self deprecating way of thinking and you're like I don't deserve this, then you can really talk yourself out of living quite yeah. quickly. Yeah, and is that why you were you were good at the suicide prevention stuff? Yeah, and that that but think? that's why. It's sort of, I had a lot of friends being like, you can't be a therapist. Like, you're messed up. <laughs> like, and, but then it was kind of, I was using that side of me to to help other people. I'm like being like, look, I've been here. I've got to this point mm. and it was bad. And, you know, and, and this is what I've learned from getting to that that level of the abyss. Yeah. And 
being able to help people with that. And it's that was really important how, to do that. How bad did it get? Yeah, like suicide. Like I wanted to, went there. Went. To, I remember getting to the point where I'd managed to drive from Horsham, which is West Sussex, to Southampton, completely blacked out, don't remember any of it. And then just remember being beneath the loft, seeing my legs hang and like with some rope, being like, well, I'm done. And then that, that was the next day when I called um, the DCMH through the army and being like, I need serious help. Wow. And that's when they were like, look, we can basically circuit break it. Let's take you out of circulation for a little bit to see how you do. And I think I spent about a week, two weeks, 30th birthday I spent in uh, Parkland Psychiatric Centre, um, which Happy was the worst birthday. thing because I got to experience how bad things can be yeah. and how average I am. <laughs> like, and I, yeah, I remember being like, yeah. I'm not that bad. Like, I thought I was bad, but this this is scary this is it was yeah real scary and there's your other eye opener isn't it? that was yeah the first one was seeing mm-hmm. yourself yeah the second one is oh, okay i'm yeah and then you kind of piece the bits together and you go how did i let it get to that yeah because these people have got there and you know some of them have got there in the worst ways possible um which is no fault to their own and kind of i looked at mine and was like Mine's kind of self-inflicted to some degree. You know, I could have, I could have handled this better mm. um, if I'd just been a little more self-reflective and a little bit more accepting. Because I didn't accept help so often. Yeah, it's just go and see. Like the army threw so many different people at me, but I did that thing where I'd read the books, learn the literature, study the courses, just so I could talk myself out of a situation that I didn't have to talk yeah. about myself. And it was ridiculous. And it was yeah. funny enough. I mentioned the therapist I see now regularly. And it came about through Better Up Coaching, which was an Invictus Games. Um, they matched with this company in the States, Prince Harry's Invictus Games, with this company in the States called Better Up. And um, a bit of shameless promotion there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's coaching. And I thought, yeah, coaching or whatever. Um, I was like, I'll do it because it was free, six months free. I was like, why not? Yeah. Uh, I, I like growth. I like self-work. And I, in that space that I was in over the past year and, and I met this guy and he kind of slipped underneath the, the armour. And before I knew it, we were having in-depth, depth psychology, sort of real. And I remember being like, holy shit, like the guy's completely flushed me out. He's like, done what, it, yeah. what, what the hell yeah. has happened? And like, and like I said, ever since we've been incredibly close, but he said, he was like, what it did for him as well. He said he'd been through real, like he'd lost someone really close to him. You know, he'd had a lot of difficulties and he said, what he saw in this therapeutic relationship was just game changing for mm. both of us. And I remember when the six months of the free coaching was coming to an end, I was like, I can't give this up. And he was like, no, no, me either. He was like, we need to sort something out because this is what wonders, like it's done something else. And yeah, it's great. We saw oh, it. And it's, it's just, again, I wouldn't be the kind of man I am today if it wasn't for the help that he's, the work he's done with me. Um, What's it called? It's called Better Up. Better Up. Um, but, you know, it, it's almost, again, like that Better Now, which is sort of like an online platform for loads of different coaches and therapists. And you basically put in what, what you sort of want to work on and what you need help with. And, oh, um, and they, they fix you up. They fix you yeah. up. And, but this is it. Like, they're all psychotherapists, or a lot of them are psychotherapists, but they're on there purely for coaching. And so what I put in the little bio thing was I wanted help with, you know, yeah. my professional development and all this rubbish, you know. <laughs> Because in my head, I was like, I'd just been assigned the veterans champion with um, where I was with the NHS. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I could really rise quite quick in this. And again, it's that logical mind of going, oh, I could be a career man doing this now. And that's before the health took another knock. And 
<laughs> and yeah, it sort of our relationship quickly went from that coaching. I remember the first session, he was like, you're not the guy that's written all this stuff on here. He was like, you, and he was like, is he this sussed really? you out. Yeah, oh, straight away. <laughs> he was like, is this really what you want? And he even said to me, he goes, I want you to go away and I want you to write a piece of prose on how you see what you want. And where. And I wrote this real eloquent sort of Jack Kerouac kind of piece of prose and sent it to him. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you you need to like <laughs> rethink some things here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he was like, what, what are you afraid of? And, it was, oh, and I was like, not being seen as a professional, you know, it's being a professional soldier, being a professional therapist. It's that real kind of sensible doing well in life. And he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to create art. I want to be, you know, I want to just let out what's inside of me in, in, in a way that resonates with other people. But there's always that haunting thing in the back of your head going, yeah, but that's just a hobby. Yes. That's just a hobby. No, you can't. And, and especially when you get to, you know, 30, 40, and you hit that, that get to the age where people are like, you're not giving up doing that yet. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you get that you've got, a lot. got a proper job, yeah. have you? And yeah. you're like, what is a proper job? I mean, if you spend your life trapped in working a professional job just so you can retire and then do something you enjoy, yeah, what on earth kind of life that's, is that? What's the point of that? Yeah, it's really not. And I think it took a lot of realization to go, okay, I'm not going to do that. And I think the health was a big thing. It's going if 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 I've got declining health, and especially I remember being sat in Moorfields Eye Hospital and I said to the, the retinologist, I was like, how long do I have for the site? And he goes, could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years. Oh my God. And then I remember being like, okay, right? So, and I went through that frantic paper going, what do I want to do? You're like, if, if everything you see could be the last time you see it. And, and that's a really extreme way of doing it because the condition I've got, well, it's not, I'm not going to wake up blind. It's, I, it's eye bleed, so you, it's deterioration over time it just r rapidly increases its time when you start having one and then another and more and more. Okay. How is it now? How's your health now? Does it constantly decline? Yeah, slowly? It's, 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 it's been getting worse. I was in hospital, uh, I think it was a month ago, a month and a half ago. And I was very fortunate to, it was called a ground round and there was like 15 specialists just basically running through me, <laughs> like my eyes. And I was in absolute state after. Didn't help, I went there hungover. So oh. it's even worse. I must have stank and yeah. there must have been like, damn, they can't help this guy. Yeah, <laughs> But they were amazing and it was a great experience because they called me up and there were some things they wanted to try doing and they were like, we've all sat around and talked about it and we kind of want to monitor it. And it's nice to know that, that there's a real detailed level of care when it comes yeah. to things like that. And, you know, medical's advancing. Medical advancements have changed so much and they're going to change so much more in a real short space of time. So who knows? Yeah. Um, but... I think it was, I, I let all that stuff previously destroy me and dismantle me. And it really doesn't have to. You can still live a life that you're happy with. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, and that's kind of what's taken me to today. But the mental health side of it is, I think that's a constant. Uh, it's always going to be a constant. And I think it's because, and it's that quote, isn't it? You can't ever step into the same river twice because it's constant motion in life. Yeah. And that's the same with mental health. You don't get to a point you're like, it's good. And it's always going to be good now. Yeah. No, it's going to change. Yeah, it'll go up and down. Yeah, of Peaks course. and drops. 100%. The podcast is called Stage Fright. And a lot of people I talk to, actually being on stage is the least frightening part of the whole job. Really? How are you like on stage? Do you get nervous? <sighs> I, I, you know, I never used to. And again, this is like... Do you play with a band? No, I used to play a band. It's doing cool. solo now, but I'm looking... Um, that's sort of getting back into Great. doing it as a band. Because I love doing the solo stuff, but what I noticed before, uh, in that period 2019 to 2020, 
never been so lonely in my life, mm. driving to all these shows, doing the shows, finishing the shows, coming back from the shows just on my own yeah, and not getting to share that, which is another thing why it was such an important thing to have my partner be a part of this. And because of her, her previous work role, like she's incredible at that. Yeah. Um, it was like, well, this is, we can integrate it. That's great. Great. To share that. And I think it's important. But I never used to get stage fright on any of the other stuff because I was on so much medication okay. and I drink so much. And you feel numb. Yeah. yeah. Even as a kid when I used to play and, and I used to just drink so much and then get up on stage just absolutely trolleyed and they'd be like, oh, that's a great gig. Okay. I, I'd hate, I'd love, no, I'd love to know what people were thinking when they sat there seeing this like 16, 17, 18 year old kid. Have you seen any video footage of it? Yeah, it's awful. I look like, you know, I, look like <laughs> I look kind of like Ronnie Wood, it's, but like <laughs> but how, how Ronnie Wood looks now <laughs> yeah. at 17. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I played in Portsmouth at a Future Folk event on um, Tuesday. And I remember being there thinking, God, is this the is this nerves? I was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. Yeah. But then it, I think it's the most important thing because it it almost channeled a new energy through me having those nerves because yeah. and I loved it. Like how my dad my dad says, if you don't get nervous, then you don't care about it. Mm, yeah, no, which is a great way of thinking it. Absolutely spot on. I couldn't think of a better way of putting that. That's just it's so true. Yeah. And I think that's why I did. Oh, it wasn't the right time before when I was doing it because I was on so much metal, I wasn't present for it. Yeah. So I couldn't enjoy what I was doing, even though part of me knew that I was good at it. And people were saying, yeah, you're really good at this. But I'd kind of brush it on air, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, And that's the, the not caring about it because I wasn't in a place to even acknowledge it. Can um, you can you take compliments? No. <laughs> no, it's hard. No. I can't take compliments. I can't even watch myself back. Really? Yeah, I really struggle with it. Really. What about listening to yourself back? Yeah, Do you I listen to your even... own records? No, uh, but this is it again. This is the thing. It has to go through like a um, like a period of uh, I don't even know what the best way to describe it is. It's uh, I leave if I leave it long enough and I listen to it back. I'm like, oh, I like that. I really yeah. like that. But if I listen to it too soon after, I'm like, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. that's what I'm like with mixes. Yeah. Like if I mix a band or mix my own stuff, I I have to mix it yeah. and then I don't listen to it for two or three weeks yeah. and then I come back to it and go, okay, cool. That's right, yeah, it. that sounds fine. Yeah, it, it, I think it does need it, doesn't it? It needs need that to get away setting hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better at it. Maybe not. Well, actually, this morning, Part tried to show me a bit of the footage from the show the other night uh, and I was like, I can't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't watch that. Has, no, no. Lately, has your mental health stopped you from doing, no, from performing or writing or? No, I think where I've got myself into a space where I feel aligned with it, like when it goes up and down with that peak, the peaks and troughs from that, I feel almost the way a boat, you know, pitching yours with the waves. Yeah. You know, it's, it goes with it. it. Though it's going up and down, it's still, it's that constant motion. So when I am down or feeling in a lower place, it's using the toolkits that you kind of have in, in yeah. place to work with that. And, and, you know, and some of that makes for the best writing. I write yeah. some incredible stuff. I was going to say, your, your music is so open and honest is that is that a conscious thing before you start writing no no I, and a lot of the time i don't even think about it i just wow i'll just pick the guitar up and i'll be strumming it it's, it's quite funny because my phone is filled with recordings yeah. of me just of course mumbling random yeah. rubbish as if i'm trying to snatch out these words yeah and it's weird because i've just finished i don't know if you've you've read it rick rubin's book um i haven't read it yet no i highly recommend is it, it good? This, this is this isn't even a shameless plug this is a plug everyone should read that book <laughs> it is incredible and he even as a person and even if it, you're 
not musically driven. I think his standpoint on figuring stuff out from looking inward and it's just magic. And I, he says so many things in there which are so profound but so meaningful in how we have these sort of antenna that sort of pick up on signals. And, and I remember him saying, like, if, if you have a creative idea and you don't roll with it, and then you'll see, like, six weeks later, it'll pop up somewhere else. You'll be like, I had that idea. Yeah. And it's almost like that idea has passed through you. You've, you've, you know, you've, and because you didn't use it, someone else, someone else did. did. Yeah. So when I write, I kind of, I, I feel like um, I'm just letting it come through me. Mm-hmm. And as it's coming through me, it's just picking up on bits inside of me and then they're stitching into that song. It's nice. Oh, nice. And there's, I, a, there's a Noel Gallagher quote that says, um, he doesn't write songs, songs come to him. Mm. Which is a good way of thinking yeah, about it as well. Absolutely. And uh, it was, I think it was George Harrison that said, I could be wrong, it might have been John Lennon. It was one of the Beatles. Um, and it's in Rick Rubin's book, he says it as well, um, that they're like, when you're writing that song, they're like, you should do it in that session. Don't come yeah. back to it. Yeah. And uh, and I remember first reading that going, do I, do I agree with that? And then I actually had the situation the other day where I was writing this song, I was like, I love this, this is great. I'm really loving what's coming through here. What's, what, the words that are just spilling out of the pages is fantastic. Yeah. And then life, you know, I think I went to pick up the kids or, you know, carry on with normal life yeah. outside of that and i tried coming back to it like a day or two later and i was like "Ugh, this is awful yeah and i, and I remember sitting there going but it wasn't yesterday what has changed yeah. like, and i couldn't connect with it and i thought damn if i just finished it in that moment would i have had a yeah. complete piece of work that i loved and it's just it's when you sit there and think about that you're like it's so fleeting like this this ability to create and it's it really is that you just have to you have to lean into the feelings that you feel around what you're yeah. doing and you have to really ride it. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle when they work separate jobs and they do this in the sense that they clock off their work and then they go and try and create music and then, you know, and then they have a life around it. And there was a great band we played with uh, a couple of days ago, Away From Stray, and they, they were wonderful. But they all have lives around it, you know. And yeah. you think, is that what stops people from going to that next level? Because they're not, they've not, dived in they've not they've got toes dipped in the water and you can only put so much of yourself into it because you have yourself in other lives around yeah um and that was the biggest catalyst for myself and my partner going we're going to go in we're going to dive into this and whether we just hit an empty pool at the bottom and crash out and then we rebuild from there at least you tried we do that yeah yeah the worst thing you can do is go i really believe in this but I'm just going to sit on the on the edge and dip my and splash my toes in the yeah. water until something comes along and nibbles my toes. Well, that doesn't work that way. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. going to. We're not going to be sat here and Rick Rubin's going to come through the mm. door and go, "I want to make a record with you guys." Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. I mean, if it does, that's fantastic. <laughs> if it does, yeah. I mean, if you found the place, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I drove round twice. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you and Domino's driving, just driving around, going, "Where is this studio?" <laughs> All right, I'm just going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about my Patreon, where for the price of half a coffee a month, you will get early ad-free versions of the podcast in a higher quality, as well as a load of behind-the-scenes photos and audio that I've been told to say are NSFW, which I don't know what it means, but people have it on their OnlyFans account. Apparently, I, I, I don't know, I've been, I've been told that. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. 
You can also get the app on your phone so you can listen to my voice wherever you may be. My Patreon has a pay-what-you-can scheme where all tiers are the same. The aim of this is to have more Patreons paying the smaller fee a month and not pricing people out, which in turn will pay for the show and help it run and run until the end of time. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to the show. I was going to ask you what helps with your mental health. And I think the answer is going to be people around you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. 100% it's, that. Yeah, and I think, and that is where people make their first mistake when it comes to mental health. And one thing, having been a mental health professional, and I don't know if you stay a mental health professional when you stop doing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's, the first thing people do is they, they take themselves away. They completely disassociate with the people around them and they start to, and I'm saying this from me as well, you know, I, this is the first thing I did to completely isolate yourself. Hmm. Even, even, and more, more in an emotional sense than physical, because you can still be around people and be so incredibly alone. Yeah. And I found myself doing that when I was at the worst that I've ever been. And I, I see it in everybody that I know that are struggling. The first thing they do is they stop talking to people. Yeah. They stop connecting with people. And even when they're there, they're not there. And it's, yeah. and that's the problem. And I think people would, mitigate a lot of the problems that they have if they were just a little bit more open to the idea of going okay i need help or i need more interaction that goes more than a surface level hey how are you doing yeah that's how many times a day do you hear you're right yeah good man you yeah good man and that's it that's the end of the conversation that's it and it's it's the worst thing because there's especially when it comes to from a neuroscience perspective the rule of three works fantastic. If you ask it three times, it's the first time is the brush away comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. The second one's like, you just asked me that. And then the yeah. third time's, then it's, you're like, why have you asked me that again? And then you're asking yourself that. And yeah. then you're like, no, I'm actually not. Thank yeah. You. And then you're like, and also it shows the person's like, they actually want to know. They're not just saying it. And because so often you see people like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. As we can. Yeah, yeah, fine. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. No, that's not a conversation. Yeah. No one said what they actually think, yeah. what they actually feel. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time it's because we all, we feel burdened of going, oh, I don't want to be... Someone's. I don't want to be the negative vibe yeah. in the room yet. Yeah, but then you watch how quickly a negative vibe can change when someone's just been a little bit more open. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have that. Again, it's the peaks and troughs. You drop down, it gets a little bit dark and moody, and then a joke gets cracked. And then you're like, oh, I'm so glad we've had this conversation. Then it, then it spikes right up, and then you're having a great time. Not always, obviously, that's not... Yeah. I mean, it would be magic if it worked like that every time, but <laughs> I suppose that's that's the equivalent of just having a golden retriever puppy come in. And yeah. Instant <laughs> yeah. happiness. It's yeah, like, yeah. Um, but... But yeah, I had a friend message me once, and he said, how you doing, man? And I rarely hear from this guy. He just went, how you doing, man? Like, just a text. And I literally opened up and said, I actually feel a bit weird lately because of you know x y and z like i can't i think i was might have been just before i was moving into here and i said i i just said like i feel kind of overworked and like i'm not doing enough at the same time and i don't know why and then we just had had a chat about that and i mean how did you feel he reciprocated in that situation i felt he he was he wanted to listen yeah i felt that he was he was actually on the other end of the phone like actually waiting like whether he was waiting for someone to turn up or it doesn't matter you, yeah, you know you had 10 minutes to but i think that's the key though isn't it it's feeling that you have an, a good enough space with that person to, yeah. to have those sort of conversations because i think so many people feel that that other person doesn't care or they don't want to listen or and again that burden being burdensome to people is always that you don't want to be that person that's moaning and and you don't want to yeah you don't want to be the burden because you feel that your problems are either going to bore that person or they're not big enough problems for you to yeah. whinge about 
Like you could say, oh yeah, no, I'm, you know, the kids are having trouble at school or whatever. And you just feel like you feel stupid kind of saying that to yeah. other people. Whereas other people know, they've asked you the question, they want to know that's it, why you're yeah. feeling, why you're not as chatty today or, or whatever. A hundred percent. And I think that's, for me, it's definitely been a, uh, an eye-opening thing to go from not talking and to being surrounded by people not talking to then being someone that wants to. Because as soon mm. as, you, I, I find as soon as you open yourself up in those situations, I remember I used to get contacted so much by people, more so than ever. Like I, all of a sudden it was just people going, oh, do you mind speaking to so-and-so? Or can you wow. have a word with so-and-so? And that was great. But I remember it got to a point where then I took a bit of a dip and it was, I think it was Christmas, not last year, the year before. Uh, and I had COVID for it as well. I, was, I spent all Christmas day in bed watching Harry Potter, I think, and just in, <laughs> in a world of hurt. And then yeah. I had someone go and contact me saying their partner had been on the closing down Afghanistan and you know, seen some pretty, pretty bad stuff and need, needed to speak to somebody and was in a real bad state. And, and I remember being like, I don't have the emotional energy to take this on. And I really wanted to. And, and I remember being like, damn it, because I spent so long creating that space for people to then be comfortable enough to go, can you help? Yeah. And then I wasn't in a space that I could do that. And then, then I had to then feel that weight of going, I can't right now. Yeah. And that's hard. That was really that's hard. hard. Yeah, that must be hard um, to, for you to say. Did, was it because you you didn't want to burden them? Yeah, I think I, I think because I know the process of what it takes. You know, you're not going to get over it mm. on one conversation. You, you need to open the conversation so then you can start doing the work. Yeah. And I knew, you know, I was unwell. Um, and that, that particular bout was real bad. I'd lost some sight in my left eye because of the coffin. Um, and, you know, so I, I was then facing my own, like, you know, it reignited a lot of the issues when I was told about being ill. And then every time I'd experienced that level of the decline in health, it, it knocked the mental health with it. Mm-hmm. It always sent me wobbling because I was like, oh, damn. Because it felt like all the work I'd done in the, that interim was for nothing. Yeah. Um, which isn't the case because you know we all have setbacks in life and we all have yeah, and that's the peaks and the troughs that's, that's it that's it it's um i just didn't have the toolkit proper toolkit for the self-work in those situations because i just kind of dismantled myself every time yeah um, and i think as well as that maybe i needed the support and it was the, the other support you know having a partner has massively changed that because when there are the wobbles there is more of a support there um and does she know when you're about to feel like this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's incredible with that. And I think, but we, again, with that, we've had an incredibly open relationship in, not in, in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of meeting. Absolutely not in that sense. No, <laughs> uh, in a, in the sense that right from the off, it was laid my cards out of going, <laughs> I'm a divorced dad of two. I've got a declining health condition, which is, is not good. It's, it's, it's not a great plenty of fish profile. <laughs> no, it's, oh, it's not. It's absolutely not. I mean, I mean that, is, that was a bad thing on the mental health, trying to date in that sense. Yeah. I remember being like, who the hell is going to want to be with this mm. guy? Like, because if I look at that profile, I'm like, no, no thanks. <laughs> you have zero prospects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, it was from the off. It was like, right, this is, this is the situation. And, you know, we really talked in depth at things like that. And, and you know, and it went both ways. You know, every, everybody has things in their life. Everyone has their own complications. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I found which was always difficult is being around people when they were like, oh, I've got a really bad headache because I suffer from chronic pain in my eyes. And people used to be like, oh, but, you know, it's not as bad as you. And I used to be like, stop saying yeah, that. Yeah. It's not comparative because no. your worst is only understood by you. It can't be compared to my worst because... 
you know, we're not in the same body. Like, it's yeah. You know, your stubbed toe could be as bad as my snapped ankle. Yeah. And I, I remember I went on uh, like a difficult course with the army and I'd, I'd actually fractured my ankle and I'd carried on for the week. And it was by the end, it's, and the ankle's screwed now. It's constantly oh, swollen. For my, like, the skateboarding career's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, that's <laughs> over. It's done for now. And uh, I remember getting to hospital and they scanned it and they're like, that's fractured, you know. And I was like, oh. And, that, and you know, I'd just yeah, been you cracking on with yeah, it. And just, yeah. When someone's like, oh, I've hurt my foot or something like that. I remember back, especially being in the army, I remember being like, that's not bad. I, I, I fractured my ankle and carried on for a week. Yeah. And you're like, you've got to get over that. Yeah. Get over that ego because it's not the same because like what I can handle physically, you know, it's only accountable for myself. Like yeah. I can't, you don't know what other people are feeling or experiencing on yeah. how they're handling stuff. And it's, it's just too And that, that goes back to not wanting to burden people with yeah. your problems because you yeah. think they're not big enough or whatever, but a problem's a problem if mm -hmm. you, you know, however big or Absolutely. small it is. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and a lot of the time, you know, if you mitigate a problem when it's small, it stops it from ever getting big. And, but people don't do that and they let it get big and then it's too big for it to be yeah. <laughs> fixed. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so your kids, right? If you were to ask them now what they want to be, when, how old are they? So my son Jackson is seven and my, my daughter's going to be five in a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. Has that come quick? Too quick. Yeah. <laughs> scary. It's scary. <laughs> like, especially when you see kids, like that, those sort of 13-year-old when they're sort of hitting those teenage yeah. years. And you're like, Oh my goodness! That's, I'm like, that's, that's scary. Close. That's yeah. not far from from what they're gonna. Like, that's it's not far at all. Um, <laughs> they're like proper humans. <laughs> they're actual humans. Yeah, yeah. The real emotions, real feelings, yeah. real conversations, and the questions they ask just blow my mind. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, wow. And they're to be fair, they're, they're some of the most incredible teachers ever. Like how they see the world and how yeah. they experience things. I like the questions are just so. They're not limited to the constructs we create over time. You know, grow, the, more, the older we get, we create more and more boxes for ourselves. Yeah. Kids don't have that. Nah. They just ask. They just what go, they why? Yeah. Why? Why are you doing that? Oh, because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Oh, why? And then you start thinking, <laughs> yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I used, I used to do um, close-up magic years ago when I was in I was in uni. And the worst people to do it for is kids because they see everything. <laughs> They're looking at it and they go, what are you just doing that there? And you're like... Stop ruining this for me. <laughs> if, you, if you were to ask them now what they want to be when they're older, what would they say? So it changes every day. <laughs> Constantly. My, my daughter keeps saying she wants to be um, a hairdresser, yeah. which is, you know, I think she'd make a great hairdresser, yeah. to be fair. Because um, I had longer hair as well at one point, and she used to love doing that. And I was oh, like, cool. It was nice. nice. It's uh, real nice. And my son, he changes regularly because... It depends what he's playing with at the time. Yeah. But he's obsessed with space, which is great. Um, oh, really? That's yeah, cool. Yeah, he really is. That's great. Um, really is. And I remember he said, what did he say the other day? He wanted to be, it was some kind of action hero, <laughs> but, but a scientist as well. Cool. And in my great. head, I was like, so you want to be Indiana Jones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. I've got some yeah, films yeah. you can watch yeah. in about five years. Funny enough, <laughs> well, actually, we, we sat down and watched all three Back oh, to the awesome. Futures recently because oh, I was great. like, I've got to get him onto the old films. Oh, that great. Just... Well, I had a tattoo artist once and I said, asked him the same question about his kids and they're roughly the same age. Yeah. And he said, my daughter wants to be... Um, a doctor, and I was at calling and he went, and my son wants to be a footballer until he's 23, and then he wants to be a pirate. <laughs> oh, man, I love great. that. Yeah. It's a great little change of career. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. But that's it. They're, they're not. They're not tied to to the the whole. You have to have one passion, and you have got to do that forever, and that's it. That's all you can be. Mm. Like kids just look at it as like, well, I'll do what I want to do 
why yeah. I enjoy it. And then, yeah. I, then I'll do something else. And that's really, if you take that approach to life, you know, that's not a bad approach to yeah. life. Like you should follow what you like to do. And just because it, you're doing it doesn't mean oh, I've got to stay doing this now because, you know, yeah, I've made... Yeah, of course. It's, that's a construct we've created. It's only the last couple of years that I've realised just start just start mm-hmm. like if you want to do something like this podcast i just i didn't know how to run a podcast yeah. just started it and then just learn yeah. on the way and that's amazing and it's like is that what you're doing with music i think i read an interview where you were no it was your facebook post about carousel yeah and you said i don't really know what i'm doing yeah. i'm just putting stuff out there and seeing yeah, what happens it. like i've never been great with social media mm. i've very much been almost uh you know that walden type just cut yourself away from the world and just yeah wanted to but that's also not right either because the whole landscape of of music's changed mm-hmm. you, know, you don't need to go and play 180 gigs a year no you can and which i know for you probably hurts because that means you don't need as many session musicians yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's, like, that's hard to hear you can just pick a few <laughs> gigs and then and then really put yourself out on online but to do that takes a certain persona yeah and i again i think because i i really do emphasize the that radical candor in who I am and, and just being honest and just, yeah. that's not honest. So I feel I lose autonomy and I lose um, integrity doing that. Yeah. So I, I do struggle when it comes time, like we sit down and me and Emily are like, right, we need to figure out content. And as soon as that com- conversation happens, I've already ran out of the room. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not doing it. No, it's I'm it's, not doing it's it. a weird misconception <laughs> that people think because you're a musician, you're a show off. <laughs> but it's like, it's no, it's, no, I've really had to learn over the last couple of years to, get better at social media because yeah. it is important and 100%. i do i do like doing it but i do cringe whenever i watch myself yeah. and go oh, is that funny is that only funny to me yeah is that am i getting the point across and it's really hard it's it is so hard and i mean you do it really really well and, and especially to take on podcasting as well and do that and you and I, i've i've done a few podcasts and i listen to a lot of podcasts and this is a very good podcast oh thank and, you mate thank and i was you. actually um just listening to the one on the way up with Holly, I think it was the last one you did. Oh yeah, Holly, yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Great, and I, yeah. you know, you listen to it like that is that is good. It's hard to create that kind of conversation. A lot of people are stunted and there a lot of people are just reading word for word. And I remember someone sending me <laughs> a load of questions that they wanted to ask. And I was like, Oh, I already feel this might be a little bit contrived. Yeah. And so I was like, typical fashion, I just didn't read it. Yeah. And just and then what he did was then piece three of the questions together every time. So I was like He'd ask it and ask all three in one, and then oh, I'd be like, wow. "What was the first one again?" Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad with listening to questions as well. Yeah. Like if like a pub quiz or whatever, if someone's if the question's too long, I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I've already done. lost what they're going to say." Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of get kind of get a rough guideline, but then just have a chat, yeah, and just that's get people. It. Over I think that. that's it. It's good to have it's good to have the boundaries you want to take things, yeah. and understand like because when you go well off on a tangent, and I can go off on a tangent because I yeah. can just talk absolutely, but. I do that when I'm comfortable doing that. It's like, but when it becomes contrived and it's like question after question after question, which had been asked every time to every guest on there. And you think, well, this is less about that connection between two people having a conversation. And it's more about just getting the questions in. I wonder if that's a fear thing. I don't, I don't know. Like from your perspective, doing the podcast, is there a level of fear that comes with, will I have a connection with this person? Is it easier to have set formulaic questions to then stop it from ever just having that pregnant it is, Yeah, it is easier just to have something to mm. fall back on yeah. in case the conversation goes stale. But then, I mean, I've talked to people for 35 years. Yeah. So, yeah, no, <laughs> so I know how to kind of talk to people, I think, anyway. But the problem is with me, I like going back to something you said at the start, I want it to look as professional as possible. Yeah. I don't want to put something out that 
is sort of half-assed or yeah, yeah. I need it to be as professional as possible. And in my head, I'm Louis Theroux. Yeah. But when I listen to myself back, I'm like, right, Louis Theroux wouldn't do that. What would Louis <laughs> Theroux do? <Yeah>. What- <laughs> but that's, that's a great way of doing it. Having a talisman, having, you know, yeah. uh, like a North Star. Actually, someone said this to me though, like have a North Star of, mm. what, of if you can angle yourself towards that, you know, not copy it, but be like, would they do that in this situation? Yeah, yeah. And someone asked me this, and they and they said, "Who would you liken it to?" And I actually, I said Ethan Hawke. Oh right? wow! And which was, and again, it's one of those things I think is ever changing. But at that point, I just finished reading his book, Bright Rare Darkness, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then I was watching some some things about him. You know, he loves playing music as well. But it was that creative thing inside of him, and I was like, I like that. I like what he shows in that that the ability to just take art by you know by the balls and just run with it and yeah. go this is you know this is i'm going to be the best i can at what i do yeah and i like that and i was like that is something that i can admire and aim towards because you know coming in here and you're listening to gregory allen Isakoff, who who is one of my absolute idols oh and, great yeah he's that wasn't just, planned i, no, I, no, I, I like thought it was well, yeah. i was like nicely done you've eased <laughs> me straight into this like and um you know, I saw him at Concord Tour a couple of years ago when it was a couple hundred people there, and then saw him last year at the Roundhouse when there oh, was wow. thousands, and it was great. Like, and he's just fantastic. But, and I remember being like, would I idolise myself in him? Well, no, he's an organic farmer out in Colorado, in in Boulder, yeah. Colorado. Yeah, I'm like, I, well, I, I can grow some chilies in yeah. the garden, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah. I can't like base my life around that. That's not. Yeah, you can't copy him too. No, much, that's you. it. But Whereas, yeah, having a north star. Yeah. to go, okay, we'll aim for that. If we veer off a little, doesn't that's matter, it, that's yeah. fine. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. Yeah, I guess my North Stars at the minute are Louis through Stacey Dooley, she's incredible. Yeah. Um, Bonavere. <laughs> I saw him in LA. Did you? Oh, so when I was out in the States doing the work I was doing, um, the two guys I was with, both veterans as well, but they're just fantastic people. Um, they go and see Justin any time they can. Yeah. And they're like, we've booked you a plane ticket over to LA. One day, we only one day flew to LA. No way. Yeah. <laughs> went uh, to the YouTube theater and, and saw him there. And oh, God, it was his 10 year anniversary for, it was just amazing. I'd never, I was like gobsmacked the whole time. Oh, wow. Whole time, just like, this is unreal. Absolutely unreal. Yeah. And amazing. my daughter was born to Restacks. Um, oh, really? And it's, it's always been one of my favorite songs. And he, rest of the band went off and he just sat down on the side of the stage and played it. I, I don't think I booed my eyes out so wow. much. Like, it was just ridiculous. I was like, what nerf is happening? He's got that ability. I mean, he's on a Taylor Swift record. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable. He's, he's just worked his way up to, from literally, know. A, a, you know, the, the myth is he recorded in a hut, isn't it? Or his dad's or hunting just, cabin. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's the myth. But then he's he's a he's a prime example of an artist that's transcended each time. Like, yeah. So he's not just gone. This is what we. This is this is Boniver's sound, and this is what it's always going to be like. It's like, okay, I love that sound. What can we do now? Yeah. And what can I? And you can see it's like, what can I do to keep the fun in here, keep the enjoyment in what yeah. I'm doing, and love what I'm doing? Because you get bands that, and I was having this conversation with Emily the other day. It's like they play the same songs yeah. for forty years. Yeah. And that's and you think. I'd fucking hate that. I would hate that. <laughs> you would hate it. And then you've got to think about, say you were Rolling Stones and you've been playing those songs for, well, have they, long have they been going now? 176 <laughs> yeah, <it's> years. <laughs> <laughs> and they're playing those same songs. They must be bored of them. But for some people in that crowd, yeah. that's their first ever gig. That's it, yeah. They're their favourite band. So they've got to be out on stage going, come on. <laughs> it's interesting go. you say that actually, because that's one thing Emily said to me is about the narrative behind your story and 
how you say it. And for me, I was getting sick saying it. And I remember I I did a, um, I sang on um, a Cool Star uh, record and they had a load of people basically just pulled loads of artists together. There was, um, there was a guy, the, I think the drummer, not the drummer, I've forgotten what he's done. This is really bad that I don't even know, but he'd worked on Jerry Rafferty's um, Baker Street. Oh, wicked. Um, and they had, you know, this eclectic group of people that had done real cool stuff. Wow. You know, they'd worked with some real awesome acts and done on, worked on some really great songs and then there was little old me doing the vocals on it and uh and i remember being like oh, this is amazing but uh, bfbs and forces tv came down and they filmed some stuff and and i was watching people manipulate the story behind it you know as a market oh, employee yeah as, and i remember i must have said the story about five or six times and i was like i hate this yeah absolutely hate this so then this time round, i was like i don't really want to talk about the story i don't really want to talk about that side of it and and then Emily said to me, he's like, you know, the more you say it, it, it might feel bad for you, but all you're doing is you're just narrowing it and per perfecting it in the right kind of way. Because for most people, it's the first time they yeah. ever hear that. Yeah. Um, and that's what you've got to remember. Because if, if I go off the bat, like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And there's loads of people that haven't heard it. They're like, oh, he's a dick, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, an arrogant worst, idiot yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, right. So it's just finding what you're comfortable in in with that narrative or with the songs that you play yeah. to know that the fact is that there's a lot of people that haven't heard it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that want to experience that for the first time. And if it's something that should be played, and like, and like the Stones, I've always loved the Stones. And I guess it's that thing, they get, they're obviously fulfilled in a different way with the music that they do. You know, if you love performing, and, and you know, it must be the same for you as a session musician to be able to just go and play with artists and, yeah just and, go play the songs yeah. don't have to worry about anything else yeah it's and lovely. you just get to enjoy it and you get yeah. to really feel that moment and that that energy of of performing and that energy yeah. of being in in that moment with them i think for me as an artist where i just i love the the storytelling and i think that's why i struggled with the narrative outside of the song because i didn't like talking about it because i felt like i did enough of that in the music right yeah um and it felt like it took a lot. And people always say, they're like, they're like you look so pained. And I'm like, I am happy. I'm yeah. really happy. Yeah. Um, and I guess when you look at people like Damien Rice and stuff mm. like that, and you're like, they're sad songs. <laughs> like they're, they're... But then he probably goes off stage and they play, yeah. you know, table tennis backstage and having a great time. Right? Yeah, he's probably done, you know, you get outliers in those situations like Kurt Cobain and people like that. Yeah. But you can see we're pained in and out of the music that they're doing. They're, yeah. it's, and that's, that's hard because you get into that kind of state and, you can't really sustain that way of being, yeah. I don't think. And I think it was quick for me to have to look at things like that going, if you lean too far into this, and there's a great uh, Nietzsche quote, and it's, um, if you gaze into the abyss, uh, then the abyss becomes you, or you become the abyss. Was, oh, cool, great. And, and it's, yeah, yeah it's, you know, nice. if you gaze too long into it, that's it, you're consumed yeah. by it. And it's true. Yeah. It's so true. Like, I like writing about mental health, and I like using it as a way of exercising some demons inside of me. But if I sit too long with it, and don't think about the implications of talking about that sort of stuff in the right way, then you can just be consumed by it. And you've got your your kids and your partner to take you out of that and mm. go, okay, let's go down yeah. to the park or whatever. And, and it just takes yeah. you away from, and that's from doing that. 100%. And, and, and I think that's the importance of being able to step away from it and then come back. Like you were saying before about putting a mix down and leave it a couple yeah, of weeks, come it. back and be like, ah, oh, nice. Because if you, if you sit in it too long, you just your ears go numb yeah, your, <laughs> like, yeah like, like physically your yeah. ears go numb yeah. and you just start so my first record i ever did on my own i was writing producing recording mixing mastering the whole thing yeah it got to a point where i thought is this even good 
Yeah. And I'd listen to the demos and go, that's when I was having fun. Like that was the fun bit. The demo part was yeah. great. I'd like to just write and then send it to someone else. Send it to, <sighs> you know, Jack White or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and just go, right, you do that and I'll just yeah. carry on writing some else. But it does get to a point where if you just stare into the abyss, yeah. it's just going to so cave in. Rick Rubin says it again in that in his book. He I says need to that, read that. I don't write that down. He says... Um, exactly the same thing and that's the problem with when you look for perfection in the things that you're doing is that often you'll take it past the point of its best mm. and you destroy it because yeah. it's the same thing like you end up coming back to week seven going yeah i'll just take the demo from that because that was yeah. so much better yeah i enjoyed that I the rest enjoyed, of it, I didn't. that was a fun bit so that's what i um meant in that comment bit in carousel was i'd done all the producing and the bits around it and i'd kind of you know i didn't have a clue what i was doing with mm. the stuff and i got it to that point of being like i can sit here on Logic, with the MIDI keyboard, everything around, adding all these sounds. I went down a rabbit hole with buying plugins. Yeah. Went down a rabbit hole with buying Spitfire sounds, and I was just adding. I was like, "This is amazing! This is great!" And then I then I'd listen to it back, and I'd be like, oh, "This is terrible! Yeah. Like, this isn't what I want." Yeah. And especially when you I'd said previously, I was like, "I'm going to put something really raw out there," and then I look at it, I'm like, "This is so far from mm. raw. This is completely suffocated in." Which is why technology is the best and the worst thing because everyone's now a bedroom producer yeah. and that's great because mm. we're getting more music out there. But it also means that, I mean, I've got Pro Tools. I've got pretty much unlimited tracks there. Yeah. I, if I sit down and write an acoustic song with a vocal, I'll start going, let me just lay a drum beat on that. Let me just, okay, because <laughs> it's got drums, I need bass now. Okay, yeah. cool. Maybe I'll double up, double up the guitars. All right, let's get, get a choir in to sing this part. Yeah, then let's add the keyboard part. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. what? It's just grown into yeah. something that I was like, I didn't, I actually want that to be like yeah. that. I want it to sound like Bon Iver. <laughs> no, well, that's it. I, I think it's good to have a vision of what you want from it. And um, and I'm actually in the studio over the next month. And this is, again, the thing where I was like, I need to do some proper time in the studio. So right. like 11 days to yeah. do a six-track EP. Yeah. And I was like, because me sitting in the bedroom doing this, I'm losing like three days yeah. just listening to the difference on like the EQ. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm gone. I'm, I'm, yeah. like, I'm, like, I'm like, was that one better? Was this one better? Yeah. And that's me, days gone. I'm like, this you is need, not good. You need to, because you're the artist, you need to work on the song. Yeah, that's it. And let some someone like me yeah. do the, who's producing it? Uh, Nick Bowen at Key West. Yeah, you need to let Nick press all the buttons. That's it. And man. you just sit and drink coffee and play guitar. Yeah. That's that's. Yeah, well, it's the it, job you need to do. Do you, do you think you're a bit of a control freak in that respect then? Or is it more playing around? I think it's it's controlled by my insecurities. That's okay. what it is. Because I'll do, like say, like the initial demo of it and I'll be like, that's awesome. Mm. What would be awesome is a little bit of tinkly piano in the background. Yeah. And I do that and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And then all it does is it's just that part inside of me going, oh, add this, add this, yeah. add this. It'd be better if you add this. And it's because yeah. the initial part of me is like, oh, if people just hear me in a guitar, it will sound rubbish. When it's the other, I remember I sent it to one of my best friends. I was in Afghan with him. We spent a lot of time in the army together. Um, you know, now he's left and he's been one of the biggest um, supports through my music. And he's always been there every show. And uh, I remember I sent him, I played Sofa Sounds um, and it went, that was one of the best gigs I'd ever done. Cool. And um, I had people coming after in tears and there was this mother and her and her husband came over and said they'd lost their son. And she said this was the first time she felt so connected to him through that. I remember being like, whoa, this, this wow. has moved someone. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, so like recently recorded that song and uh, put all the bits to it, all the sounds to it that I thought would make it even better. And I sent it to a friend. He was like, 
yeah, dude, I don't really like that. He's like, he's like, I like it when you just played it stripped back. Yeah. And I remember sitting there with that and being like, damn, I've lost sight of what I thought I wanted to yeah. obtain through this. And that was when it was like, I need, this needs to be taken out of my hands. Someone else needs to do this. Yeah, great. Like, it's great having all the kit and it's great being able to play around with some stuff. But I think when it comes down to the stuff that you want to put out there, the stuff you want to send off to certain places, it needs to have, you know, you have to have a team. You've got to have yeah. other people around. You can't, it's nice thinking you can do it on your own and like go back to Bonnevere and that the whole story about him and his dad's hunting cabin, which is a great story actually, because he did a little podcast with Rick Rubin once. I keep saying Rick Rubin. <laughs> He's gonna, the podcast is sponsored know, by Rick Rubin. Maybe he will come through the door if yeah, we keep talking yeah. about it. It's like, <laughs> it's like Candyman. Candy so five yeah. times it's going to turn up. Um, and, uh, you know, he spent a lot of the time just drinking beer watching this TV show, which, funny enough, is where he got the, t- the name Bon because it was like a greeting in a like Canadian oh, greeting cool, yeah. or something. Yeah. And I probably got that wrong, but it's around that. that, that There's so thing. many myths around that. Yeah, and he obviously he recorded a load of stuff, but it didn't just stop there. It wasn't like he'd just done that and that was it. That got sent off to people. That then blew up, and then it had yeah. other people get involved, yeah. and it yeah. become more of what it is. It's, it's too easy to think that people just do it on their own. They yeah. don't. No, they not don't. at all. Not and there may be a few outliers, but the the majority of people, they don't do it on they their own. They can't do it on no, their own. Not at all. Whether you need a good support group, a good team, yeah. a good writing team, a good you know band behind yeah. you, you need, you need everything with 100%. you. 100%. But yeah, before you go, actually, I've got like some quick fire questions. Um, friend, a friend of mine said, um, he's a sound engineer, he said he likes it when he hears me walk away from the mic. Yeah. <laughs> so Ali, if you're listening, this one's for you, mate. <laughs> this one's for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've just got some quick fire questions. Like, don't yeah. think about them too much. No, no, I, I won't. Um, what band could phone you up right now and say, the gig's tomorrow, can you come and play it? Zach Bryan. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. What artist did you instantly connect with after first hearing? Noah Gunderson. Noah Gunderson? Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, first instant. Yeah. As soon first as that track. And it was actually on Sons of Anarchy, the TV show. Oh, I was heard it? his song Family and was like, yeah. what the hell is that? And I was like... You know, when you just go down a rabbit hole, yeah, it's lost, yeah. me gone. One song you'd wish you'd written. <sighs> oh, that's hard. Because <laughs> you can go, oh, oh happy birthday, because it makes the most money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, or a Christmas song. Yeah, you know, Christmas that, that's song. That's actually yeah. for life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, that is a really tough question. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can, I, I think. <laughs> Should you say forever, forever ago, the whole record? Actually, no, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think maybe restacks. Restacks, yeah. I, I do think so, because, yeah, yeah, I will say that. It's, it's a weird question, isn't it? Because you think that's a perfect song, and you think, if I'd have written that, would I listen to it? <laughs> would it ruin it yeah. if I'd have written that? Yeah, because I end up, especially, yeah, especially when you can be so self-critical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That makes it harder, the question, even harder when you start yeah. thinking about because would it mean the same thing and would... Let's just go for a Christmas song then. <laughs> yeah, go for a Christmas song because it makes loads of money. <laughs> so, loads yeah. of money, yeah. yeah. Um, one song you're proud to have been a part of. I am proud to have been part of the Jessica Lynn song, uh, You Save Me. Um, but then I'm proud to be part of every song that I do write yeah. anyway because... Even though you're self-critical. Yeah. like They are like your extended Because when I stopped really. doing the music for that, that period of time, I remember... A, I'd listen to bits now and then and I'd have, I'd almost take a little bit of moment of self-indulgent and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, cool. Um, and I, and I, yeah, so I'd, yeah, I'm proud to be, I guess I'm just proud to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's great. That's a good answer. Thing, yeah. yeah, and before you go, what have you got coming up next? So 
I'm in the studio for over the next couple of months, which is going to awesome. be incredible. Um, so it's just really putting the time into getting the... Are all the songs of... written? Yeah, done? pretty much. But yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have a habit of writing lots. And okay, great. Even for the show I did on Tuesday, I wrote most of the stuff the week before. Great. And That's cool. So it just feels like... So I'll probably change all the songs that I am yeah. <laughs> within the next week or two. Uh, and yeah, it's got a couple of shows. I'm playing a cool country show. Um, it's like for some leukemia charity up in London, um, live in the living room. It's at the Bedford, which is going to be really cool. Great. Load of great country acts there. Um, awesome. Which, and I don't ever feel like I'm a country artist. So now I feel kind of like I have to write some country songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll probably yeah. do that. Um, and then, yeah, just a few, few shows coming up, um, which should be good. But I've tried to limit the shows that I've done just so I can be more choosy you know yeah really, yeah uh, not fall into the trap of playing just playing every you know do you want to come to swindon and play the you know the bell and whistle on a tuesday yeah. and you're like, is that <laughs> yeah. really gonna help yeah. me is that's gonna be a waste it. of petrol like it's it's looking at what's gonna elevate me yeah and, and keep it fun that's it i just want to keep it fun keep it fun yeah, yeah. that's the main so, thing and you've got a good manager behind you that yeah, she's incredible yeah, she's so, gonna be great so um yeah it's all looking good it's going in the right direction so, awesome mate yeah. be nice. red rock soon yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream <laughs> mate thank you so much no, for coming in and you. opening up like this. it's been uh, it. it's been really nice to have you on the on the pod no it's been really really great so i really appreciate it and invite me into this awesome space oh mate yes absolutely how was your coffee was it all right it was fantastic yeah, yeah was <laughs> good. good might go into that quick music and just be a, <laughs> yeah, be a barista, barista. <laughs> like that all right thanks mate awesome thank you very cheers much. dude here we go the one take blunder <laughs> That was Liam Wakefield on the Stage Fright podcast. That, that was Liam Wakefield. <laughs> Do it again. That was Liam Wakefield on the Stage Fright podcast. You can find him online at Instagram. Uh, you can find him online Instagram. Ah, fuck. You can find him on Instagram at Liam Wakefield Music. If you would like to help out the show, please sign up to my Patreon, where for the price of half a coffee a month, you'll get early, ad-free, higher-quality access to the pod, as well as some extra bonus bits and conversations. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. Email me any thoughts and ideas you might have for the podcast, allrightstagefright at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter if you want. Twitter at I'm... Uh, no, <laughs> that was going so well. Twitter at All Right I'm Dan. Instagram at The Stage Fright Podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll uh, see you on the next. Oh, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.